I said this in the first service. I believe it's absolutely true right now as well. This is a holy place today. This is a holy place because we have gathered in the name of the living God and we are worshiping God. We are putting all of our hearts and efforts It's a place where we have come and we have decided that we want to pour out our praises to God. And he receives that. He knows that. He desires that. He's the only one that's worthy of worship in this whole universe. And I believe that our hearts are gathered today with an attitude that says, I want to, I want to worship the living God. And that is a powerful, powerful thing. It's not how great our band is, even though our band is great. And it's not how wonderful our facility is, even though our facility is awesome. But it's our hearts that desire God. And it's the presence of the living God that makes this place powerful today. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayers. We come to you today loving you, desiring you first, wanting to know what your word says, hungry for more of your presence, needing you and serving you, living for you and loving you. Thank you, God. Speak to us today through your word. Speak to us as we hear it, as we talk about it, as we listen to it, as it changes our hearts. And we pray this in the powerful name of Jesus Christ, who rose from the dead and who is our Savior. Amen. Well, my voice is going. You guys, I think I'm going to make it through this service, but the next service is going to be very exciting. (laughs) We'll see how that all goes. We're going to open up our Bibles to 2 Samuel, 2 Samuel chapter 1, 2 Samuel chapter 1. Read the first 12 verses. After the death of Saul, David returned from striking down the Amalekites and stayed in Ziglag two days. On the third day, a man arrived from Saul's camp with his clothes torn and dust on his head. When he came to David, he fell to the ground to pay him honor. Where have you come from, David asked him. He answered, I have escaped from the Israelite camp. What happened, David asked. Tell me. The men fled from the battle, he replied. Many of them fell and died, and Saul and his son Jonathan are dead. Then David said to the young man who brought him the report, How do you know that Saul and his son Jonathan are dead? I happened to be on Mount Gilboa, the young man said, and there was Saul leaning on his spear with the chariots and their drivers in hot pursuit. When he turned around and saw me, he called out to me, and I said, what can I do? He asked me, who are you? An Amalekite, I answered. 
Then he said to me, stand here by me and kill me. I'm in the throes of death, but I'm still alive. So I stood beside him and killed him because I knew that after he had fallen, he could not survive. And I took the crown that was on his head and the band on his arm and have brought them here to my Lord. Then David and all the men with him took hold of their clothes and tore them. They mourned and wept and fasted till evening for Saul and his son Jonathan and for the army of the Lord in the house of Israel because they had fallen by the sword. Friends, this is God's word for us today. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable to you, O God, our rock and our redeemer. This is the Christmas that my mom finally made it on Facebook. It's been coming for uh, quite a while. She got an iPad maybe six, seven months ago, and we've been saying, okay, all you got to do is, you know, just fill out a profile, and, you know, and it's just, ah, it's been so hard. It's been like, it's just not been happening. There's been computer glitches. There's, there's been uh, wireless connection problems. There's been the password doesn't work, and you have to call the company again. And then there's just my mom's whole just sort of uh, discomfort with uh, technology, and um, <clears throat> it finally happened. She's on Facebook, and she loves it. <laughs> and so now, you know, I'm on Facebook, and it's like, 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 comment, you know, what have I done? But it's a great thing. It's a great thing. She's uh, created her profile and written down her hometown and her schools and posted photos and said what her preferences are. But the thing that she really loves about it is that has been connecting to old friends. That's the thing that is so powerful about it. She has been able to begin to connect with old friends, friends from grade school, friends from high school, friends from college, from every town that she's lived in, people from all over the country and even around the world. And then for her as a former uh, college professor, uh, it's her students that she is so, uh, just so appreciative that she can go and she can see what's going on in their lives. And, you know, they'll comment back to her and she'll see that some of the things that she taught them were, are still so powerful in their lives. It's such an encouraging thing to her. Rekindling friendships is a precious thing. It's a, it's a precious thing to know that I have friends out there. I haven't talked to them for 20 plus years, but we're still friends. And when we, you know, talk on Facebook occasionally, it's like, oh, this is, they understand it. The old joke is still strong. Friendships, it, it's a powerful thing. It got me thinking about friendship, and it, it got me thinking about that great friendship between David and, and Jonathan, which happens in the book of uh, 1 Samuel. The books of First and Second Samuel are a great read. They're, they're just this powerful drama. It's like reading a soap opera. I mean, it's, it's, it's riveting, all these stories that happen to these people. We start out with Samuel and his, uh, his birth and, and his whole life, which spans that of, of the coming of Saul, who's the first king of Israel, 
And Saul is anointed by God to be king. And Saul is this guy who stands head and shoulders above everybody else. And, and Saul is a person who starts out humble, but we learn quickly is flawed, is paranoid. And he is, after a while, overcome by David himself, David who becomes the greatest king of Israel. We see him rise from his shepherd roots through the defeat of Goliath and the leading of the Israelite army and then eventually becoming king. All these people are examples to us. They're positive examples and they're negative examples. It's one of the great things about the Bible. It does not cut out any of the junk. If you are tempted to think that this is a boring book, you've not been reading it lately. In some, I mean, there is junk in here. There's like, oh my goodness, I would never have written that down about my family kind of stuff in here. And that's what's so, it's the ring of truth that the Bible is, is true. It's the word of God. There's something special about David. He's described in the Bible as a man after God's own heart. That means he genuinely loved God. He was a friend of God. I, uh, I spent this past Friday, which is my Sabbath. That's my day when I, I don't work. I don't do to-do lists. I just relax. I talk to God. I just have fun. I, I worship. It's good. So I'm, I'm spending a lot of time alone this, just this past Friday, and I was thinking about some old friendships, thinking about how I really haven't nurtured some of those friendships in a while and how I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make those phone calls. And I just I want to see those people. I want to be in relationship with those people. Those folks are important in my life. And uh, later that evening, I had some uh, friends come over for dinner who uh, we haven't seen in a long time. And um, that was just so great to hear their stories and, and to see how they're doing. And I want to look at friendship, friendship, through the lens of David's life. Because there's a lot about friendship going on in here in the story of David. And I think we can learn some valuable lessons about true friendship by noting how David, the friend of God, lived his life and was a friend to others. Now, I want to be clear here. <clears throat> David is described as a man after God's own heart, but he was by no means a clean-cut guy where everything was, was you know, uh, he's no saint. Let's put it like that. David has a lot of junk in his life. I, uh, I had a friend who used to really complain about, why is David called the man after God's own heart? I mean, list the things that he was involved with, murder and adultery and things like that. And, and yet David was a guy who absolutely knew how to genuinely repent. He loved the Lord, and when he screwed up, he went to the Lord and was honest and said, I, I take seriously the fact that I have violated this. He, he repented of his sin. I think that's one reason why he was described as a man after God's own heart. He had a very special relationship with Jonathan, who was the, the crown prince of, of, of Saul's family. Saul's the king. Jonathan is his son. And that's a great story that has many facets. But I want to look today at David's friendship with Saul himself. Saul, the reigning king. To me, it's a more noble friendship in many ways because it was so much against the odds. <clears throat> this friendship is powerful in several ways. I want to look at three this morning. The first is this. David was a friend 
when he was in a secondary place. David was a friend when he was in a secondary place or a secondary position. Saul was the king of Israel. He was mighty. He was powerful. When he said go, people went. He did stay at heaven's shoulders above other people. He's the kind of guy that when he showed up, everyone went, oh, that guy's in charge. He's a person that God had anointed to be the king of Israel. He is number one. And David, when he comes on the scene, is nothing but a shepherd boy. He's a, the Bible says he was good looking, he was ruddy, and he knew how to play the harp. And Saul would get into these fits in which he would just be disturbed in, in, in a great way by a spirit, the Bible says. And, and his advisors were always trying to figure out how are we going to calm this guy down? How are we, I mean, he's, he could say anything, and you would have to do it. What are we going to do with this guy in charge? And, and somebody comes up with the idea, well, I heard this kid over in Bethlehem who's a shepherd who can play the harp like amazingly well. Let's bring him in. And that's what they did. They bring David in to the royal court of Saul, and they set him down, and David plays the harp. And you know, don't you, when you're having a bad day, or you're feeling agitated, and, and maybe you're driving down the car, driving on the road in your car, and you turn on the radio, and you hear a song, and somehow that song touches you. It just gets you right, right where you need to hear it, and you just kind of go, okay, 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 it's going to be all right. It's going to be all right. And that's what David's playing does for Saul. It calms him down. David shows up on Saul's whim. I want the kid with the harp. Bring him in. He doesn't complain about it. He's faithful about it. He's humble about it. He shows up even though at times it becomes dangerous. There's one moment when Saul is feeling jealous of David and he actually picks up his spear and whips it at David with the intention of pinning him to the wall. It's a good thing David is a young guy. He's fast. He dodges and he gets out of there. David is a friend who's willing to take second place even when the other person makes it difficult. Now, that's an extreme case of making it difficult. I do want to say right here that that's an abusive thing, obviously. And if you are in a situation in a friendship which is abusive, I want to be clear that, that you, you need to think long and hard about stepping away from that friendship or that relationship because... The kind of abuse that some people are dealing with is, is, is absolutely wrong. Not that, that they're dealing with, but it's wrong that it's being done. And if you're in that situation, you need to make yourself safe. So I'm just saying that. And that's exactly what David does. He flees the presence of Saul, and he stays away for quite a while until a little bit of trust is reestablished. And even then, it's, there's some boundaries I think of my old college roommate named Brad. He was my roommate for uh, three and a half years. And when I was on campus, you're going to be totally shocked at this, I knew everybody. I talked to everybody. Everybody knew I was. I was like the social guy. I, I, I knew everyone. And nobody knew my roommate. Not nobody, but few people knew my roommate. People would be like, Bill, who's your roommate? And I'd be like, oh yeah, it's Brad. And they'd be like, I don't think I know that guy. 
Brad was so powerful in my life. He was one of the most influential people in my whole college career. He was so humble. He was so real to me. He was the guy that was always there for me. Yeah, everybody knew who Bill was. Not that many people knew who Brad was, but Brad had an influence over Bill, which was huge because of his humble nature, because of his love for the Lord. He held me accountable. I held him accountable. We were really, really good friends. And I'm so grateful that he never walked around and said, how come everybody knows Bill, but not that many people know Brad? He was just a quiet guy. He was just a quiet guy. It was just who he was. But he, he wasn't resentful of that role. He was there encouraging me, helping me. I was so thankful for that role that he played. I wonder if you might have a friend that you're playing second fiddle to right now. That you're maybe experiencing difficulty because everyone says, hey, how are you, to the friend, and you're standing right there. And they're like, not even talking to you, not even seeing you. Or if they do, they're like, oh, yeah, hi, nice to meet you. Back to the exciting person. Is that true for you in your life? Maybe a person who makes it hard for you to be around. Maybe a boss who takes some credit for your work. Or a spouse that everybody knows, but they don't know you. Or a friend who's smarter or better looking or has better skills in music or sports or whatever. And everybody knows them, but very few people know you. I I think of a, a young girl at the last church where I served. She had a friend who was exciting, out front, everybody knew her. And this young girl was very quiet, very timid, but those two girls had a friendship. It had its difficult moments, but they had a friendship that was very strong and very real. And today they are very tight because the meeker, quieter, humbler uh, uh, friend hung on to that friendship. She was real with her friend. And that had a powerful influence on both of their lives. Sometimes it's really hard to take second place. But it will teach you humility. And if you're a first place kind of person, just naturally up front, you need people in your life who will say, look, I'll be your friend. Not because everybody knows you or you're fantastic at your sport, or whatever. I'll be your friend because I love you, because I value you. And friends, if you're one of those upfront people, hold on to those people. You need them in your lives. David was a friend who was willing to take second place. Secondly, David was a friend when he could have taken advantage of that friendship in huge ways. Now, remember I told you that David and, and, and Saul had this kind of weird friendship and Saul would become abusive. And Saul, because he was jealous of David, actually came to a point where he wanted to kill David several times. And he actually set out with a whole army of guys chasing down David and his men who were sort of like special forces who, who Saul claimed had sort of gone rogue, and they're out there in the countryside, and Saul is trying to chase them down. And David, David has the opportunity to kill Saul twice, easily kill Saul twice. And in both cases, he doesn't take that opportunity. The first time happened when 
Saul went into a cave. Saul and his forces are out in this, this area, and it's time for Saul, frankly, he needs to use the bathroom. And they're not going to have the king use the bathroom in front of all the forces. So there's a cave over there, and that's what Saul heads for. He goes in there, he takes some of his robes off, begins to do his thing, and guess who's in the cave? David and his guys. And the guys next to him say, this is it. God has delivered him into your hands. You already know you're the anointed one of God. At this point, David had already been anointed by Samuel to be the next king. And his friends are saying, take this guy out. Look, he's in the most vulnerable position he could be in. And David crawls forward in that cave ever so quietly and cuts off a little piece of Saul's robe. Saul finishes and gets his robe and goes out. And they're way out down below the cave now. And David comes to the face of the cave and he says, Saul, Saul, look who's in the cave with you. Look, look at your robe. I've got a little piece of it. I even feel a little guilty about taking this. I sort of feel a little guilty about the fact that even right now I'm sort of taking advantage of of you, making you look a little bit bad here, that I could have killed you. But I'm also scared for my life because you seem to be a friend who's not so friendly sometimes. But I want to be honoring to you. And so I'm standing here at the face of this cave and I'm saying, I could have killed you, man. I could have killed you. But I didn't because I respect you because I will be a friend to you. I will be a friend to you. And Saul is just humbled. He's, he just steps back. He says, you're 100% right. I'm going home. And he goes home. He goes home for a while. But after a while, he gets worked up again, and he goes out searching for David again. And this time, he and his forces are sleeping in a field, and David and his men are up uh, sort of off to the side. And David says to one of his number one guys, Abishai, he says, come on, man, let's go down there and kind of see how close we can get. Is that what you would have said? And they go down there into that place, and they get right up next to Saul. And it says Saul's spear was planted in the ground, and his water jug was right next to him. And Abishai says to David, dude, this is the moment. I will pin him to the ground with his spear. You are going to be king in like three seconds. And David says, no, we're not going to do that. This guy is God's anointed and we are not going to kill him. I know I'm going to be the next king of Israel, but it's not going to come at my hand. And so he takes the spear and the water jug, and they get way away from camp, and then David calls down. It's so funny. He doesn't call for Saul. He calls for Abner, who's Saul's bodyguard, who's sleeping next to Saul. He's like, Abner, would you mind explaining to Saul why I have Saul's spear and water jug in my hand and I'm standing over here. And of course, everyone realizes immediately. He could have killed him again, but he doesn't. And Saul once again says, David, how could I have done this to you? And he goes home. In both of those situations, David could have taken advantage, but he didn't. He could have taken advantage, but he wouldn't hear of it. He would not use his power in a negative way against his friend, even though others 
would have advised him to do that and did so. Issues of power are at the heart of almost all of our relationships. Every person in a friendship has a certain amount of power. It's sometimes a little bit and sometimes it's a lot, but you do have a measure of power. And the question that God has for us this morning is how will we use that power? Will we use it for good in our friendship or will we take advantage of it for our own good so we might think? I think God wants us to use that for good. He wants us sometimes to say with tough love, hey, we can't continue with what you're doing. I've got to be serious about, I have power over you and I'm going to ask you to toe the line on this issue. That's love. That's using your power, right? He might be saying we use our power to radically forgive somebody who has done something wrong, but you say, I have the power to make you feel guilty every time you see me, but I am forgiving you right now. That's power. We have the power sometimes to seek justice on behalf of somebody else who has very little power, but we have more, and we have the ability to stand up and say, I will step in the gap for this person who doesn't have the ability to to, to stand up for themselves. I will seek justice for this person. That's a way that you can use power well in a friendship. No matter what you do, there's always grace involved because power is a perilous thing. We have to ask for God's grace that we would use power well. Our capacity, friends, for self-deception is almost limitless. I just want to say that again. Our capacity for self-deception is almost limitless. One of your best friends in the world will be the person who tells you the truth about yourself and helps you own the truth about yourself because our ability to say, well, you know, I'm just going to do this little thing over here because I know that it kind of, uh, yeah, but it's really, I, yes, and you Having a friend walk up to you and say, no, that's not true. You need to own this situation. That is a powerful friend. And we don't want to be taken in by our own self-deception. Power has a way to corrupt, it tends to corrupt character. Entitlement begins to creep in. I deserve to be served. I deserve to be in control. I deserve to go first. Is, is there anyone in a relationship, in, in a friendship that you have right now that, that maybe you're using your power not so well today? Is there any friendship out there where you're perhaps misusing your power in some way? Remember, Jesus' golden rule always applies. Are you treating them the way that they would want them, that you would want them to treat you? Treat other people the way you want them to treat you. I, I have a friend who is um, in a school system, and he's not the superintendent, but he's pretty high up in the system, and he often has the ability to tell people, your job is going to be changing next year, and you're just going to have to kind of deal with it. And that's, sort of, that's part of his job. It's, it's tough. But recently, his superintendent came to him and said, your job is going to be changing next year. And he made a shift. He was obedient. He did it. But he said, to be on the other end of that power equation humbled me. It helped me be more sensitive to when I'm asking others 
to shift their jobs and change their lives. Friends, it's easy to be resentful when someone else has power, and it's also easy to take advantage of someone when you have more power. But everybody, no matter how much power we have, has the opportunity to use that power well or to take advantage. And I want to challenge you that David, David, what kind of character did this guy have, did not use his power to take advantage of Saul, a guy who was trying to kill him. And he still honored the friendship. Thirdly, David was a friend when all he could do was cry. This is where today's scripture comes in. We hear about the deaths of Saul and his son Jonathan on Mount Gilboa at the hands of the Philistines. The Amalekite comes and tells the story and David questions him more and he finds out that Jonathan and his two brothers have been already killed and Saul is on the top of the hill and the archers have moved in and he's been wounded and he, he decides that this is the moment He's not going to fall into their hands because, frankly, if he fell into the hands of the Philistines alive, the amount of torture and evil that they would have done to him would have been significant and huge and awful. And so he says, I'm going to have control in my own life. I'm going to fall on my sword. And what that means is that he planted the hilt of his sword into the ground and then he threw himself on it. What a graphic, awful thing. And that's the way the Amalekite finds him. He's not dead. He's in the throes of death. But he's not dead. He's lying on the ground. And he says, kill me. And the guy does it. And then brings his crown, Saul's crown and armband to David. And David says, he, he asks him about it. And he, he, he realizes that this guy really knows because this guy killed him. And the response is this. David and his men tear their clothes, mourn and weep and fast until evening. And they do it for Saul and for Jonathan and for the army of Israel. But David doesn't take this opportunity to see Saul's death as the moment of advancement. He doesn't take the opportunity to say, oh, God has now made the kingdom of Israel open for me to be king. Woohoo! He doesn't do that. He laments. He tears his clothes. He says, the anointed one of, of God has, has died. It's not about me not having to be a fugitive anymore. It's about me lamenting the actual death the horrible death of my friend. It makes me think of Romans 12, 15, which says, rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. And David says, I'm going to mourn the death of Saul. Even though he was a jerk to me over and over, he was my friend and I will not dishonor him in the moment of his death. We need to mourn with people sometimes. When things are going wrong in their lives, the call of God on our lives is not to say, you know, why don't you get your act together? Or how can I help fix this? I want to I say this. This is a very tempting thing, especially for, in our culture for men. It's tempting to, to have your spouse or, or somebody crying and you're just like, 
just tell me what the problem is because I want to fix it. And, and, and that's not what that other person wants. They just want you to sit there with them and listen and not try to fix anything. And I want you to think about the fact that if you're trying to fix it, it's really probably more about your discomfort with that situation. I'm kind of feeling uncomfortable that this person is crying, so let's fix it so I won't have to feel uncomfortable anymore. You get that? And God calls us to just mourn at times, to just be with people right where they are and not try to fix them, to sit in an uncomfortable place and love that person as a friend, a friend who is willing to be there even when the only thing they can do is cry with another person or at least empathize with them and, and be gracious towards them. I, I, there have just been moments in my life when just being with somebody and not telling them Hardly anything, just being there was so important. I, I remember, this is very fresh, about a week or so before Kristen and I came here to Bemis Point UMC, a wonderful young man in our, our last church in a tragic fit of depression took his own life. And the last service that Kristen and I did at the at this church we served before here was a service, a funeral service for a kid, a 17-year-old kid. It was it was beyond words. And I want you to know that one of the most powerful things I have ever done as a pastor was sit with that family from about 11 o'clock at night till 2 o'clock in the morning or so before they went to bed. Sit with them as they had just found their son and just be with them and just cry with them and not offer any platitudes, not say anything except God is here. And I don't have answers, but God is here and God is gracious. And strength will come. And I love you and I'm so sorry. Friends, being a friend who will be there when all you can do is cry, that's something David did for Saul and it's something that God calls us to do for others. All three of these lessons, all three of these Issues, being willing to play second fiddle, not misusing your power, being willing to just be there with someone in the discomfort of their pain and sit with them. All three of these lessons have one thing in common, servanthood. Servanthood. Philippians 2, 6 and 7 says, Christ Jesus did not consider equality with God something to use to his advantage, but rather he took on the very nature of a servant and if you want to be a great friend, if you want to be a great friend in 2014, determine in your life that you will serve your friends. You will serve your friends. That you will go out there and in all the little choices, the tone of voice that you use with somebody else, the willingness to spend time with them, the attitude of grace towards them, when they have royally screwed up and you show up 
and you don't say, you know, you really royally screwed up. Instead, you just sit there and say, I'm here. They don't need to, they fully know it. They're aware. You don't need to stick the knife deeper, but you just show up and say, I love you, I'm your friend. I'm with you. Your willingness to be uncomfortable, whatever it is, just little things, being willing to play second fiddle to that person, being willing to think about how you're using your power, being willing to be there in the hard times, those things, friends, you can do that this year. 2014 could be the year where your friendships are so powerful because you commit to serve your friends, to be a servant to your friends. Renewing friendships on Facebook was very precious to my mom this year at Christmas. And when I look back and see my old friends, it's really awesome for me as well. And it makes me think, man, what a privilege to have known these folks. And it makes me question, how have I been a friend to these people? Have I been a good friend to them? And in a certain sense, how might I serve these friends in a new way this year? The best news of all is that this is not a sermon about how you have to try harder. This is a sermon which says you can be an awesome friend this year and you can do it not on your own power, but on the power of God. You can ask God to help you, to help you serve your friends. Because none of us love to serve. I mean, some of us do it like it somewhat, but most of us are pretty self-serving and it's not natural to just want to serve other people and and God can make you, God can in your heart place you in a place where you want to serve your friends, you want to love your friends. That can be the kind of year you have this year in 2014. And I pray it will be. Let's pray together. God, thank you so much that you are so faithful to us, that you have taught us through good and bad example in the lives of people in the Bible how to be a friend. We pray that you will help us to be powerful friends this year, powerful in your grace and in your power, not in our own. Lord, the person that you're bringing to mind or the people that you're bringing to mind right now in our hearts, Lord, let us commit in this moment, I will serve this person, these persons this year. Pray it all in Jesus' powerful name. Amen.